Paramedic Insight podcast from the College of Paramedics. Data analysis and important topics from around the world of paramedic practice from the College of Paramedics. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Paramedic Inside podcast series from the College of Paramedics. My name is Gary Strong and this morning we're going to be talking about the role of paramedics in the primary care world. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Alicia Proctor who is a paramedic working in primary care and uh, Alicia, would, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you, Guy. Thanks for inviting me. So as you said, I'm a paramedic working in a GP surgery in Bristol, and I've been doing that for almost four years now. Uh, before that, I trained at the University of Hertfordshire as a paramedic, and I worked for the London Ambulance Service for almost five years. I also work at the University West of England as a lecturer and recently been seconded to the research team. That sounds like a fascinating combination because you're in a relatively new role in primary care and you, you've also got the capacity to uh, think about how that's working in, in, in the research field. So I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that. Uh, so um, how did you get into the role? What, what made you make the jump from an ambulance service to primary care? Yeah, so I've always had an interest in primary care and, and general practice. Um, I like the fact that you could follow up on patients, um, you could do more tests, diagnosis, treatment, able to prescribe. There was lots of opportunity for progression. Um, so what I did is organise work experience myself in a GP surgery. Um, and then when I realised, yeah, this is definitely what I'd like to go into, I did my master's at St George's University in London, um, where I could choose my own modules re related to, to primary care. And um, once I completed that, which included doing further work experience in urgent care centres and in general practice, I was lucky enough to get a job in Bristol. And as I said, I've been there for, for four years now and thoroughly enjoy the role. That's great. There's, there's something really interesting in there that you said, which um, uh, strikes a chord with uh, myself as, as you know, most of my career, as, as well, my clinical aspects of my career has been ambulance based, is that the, you get the follow up and you get to know uh, what's happening with your patients and, 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 and get to drive that to a certain extent. And it's one of the big frustrations, I think, of paramedics based in the ambulance world is most of the time, once you've handed over the patient, you never know. You never know what's happened. So, so that that that's um, it's a good point, really, and uh, one of the one of the pluses, I guess, of, of working in the primary care world. Exactly. Yeah, and you, you can learn more from looking back at what's happened to that patient. I think that's what's difficult as paramedics on the road when you've taken a patient to hospital or or left a patient at home. Often, you don't know what what's happened, what the the final diagnosis was. Um, so it's difficult to learn from those experiences. Yeah, and, and I, I've often thought, because uh, I've got a lot of friends working in primary care, that the learning is a really important part of it. You're, you're rubbing shoulders with um, you know, some, some very experienced people, um, GPs, 
practice nurses, pharmacists, and others, and, and the, 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 there's great opportunities for learning. Yeah, it's very it's very multidisciplinary in general practice now, um, and I think that's the key is that whichever GP surgery you might be working in as a paramedic, it needs to be a supportive practice. Um, it's very reliant on being able to approach GPs and never be afraid to ask questions um, because you are learning every day. It is different to being on, on the ambulance on the road when you do go into general practice. Um, things like uh, rashes or minor illness when you're you know, looking in patients' ears, sexual health, um, a lot of complex medical problems that you wouldn't necessarily have had training in your your original degree as a paramedic so definitely essential to have a, a supportive gp practice where you have um, an allocated mentor yeah I, th I guess when you first walk in on your first day and you're presented with some of this stuff what does it feel like on the, on the very first day that i started in general practice yeah i think one of the biggest challenges is the time pressures so of course when you're working on the ambulance um, you don't necessarily have a, a time limit when you're when you're on scene but I have 10 minute appointments along with I think most practices I think some are maybe doing 15 minutes and um, you could be presented with a chest pain for, for example that you need to try and keep within your um, your allocated time because otherwise you just run behind so that's definitely a big challenge um, but also, yeah, when I first started, I realised just how much I didn't know, I think. <laughs> I think that experience is common, actually, Alicia, for the, the people I've talked to. And you're, you're right about um, going into a supportive environment. Uh, everyone is individual and every practice is individual, but uh, paramedics need time to adjust, don't they? And I, I, I spoke to paramedics who've you know, sometimes started with 30 minute appointments, gradually reduced to 20 minutes, gradually reduced to 10. Um, understanding that I think we are, we're great learners, we're very adaptable, but we don't know everything from the word go. And, and, and uh, we certainly need to be aware of that ourselves, but also those who are supervising us need to be aware of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and as you've said, every practice, every GP surgery that are employing paramedics are doing it slightly differently. Um, and actually, recently, we've, we've done a, a survey, an interview study at the University West of England, which will be published in the British Journal of General Practitioners next month, asking GPs, paramedics and practice managers about the different models that are being employed in GP surgeries for paramedics, what patients paramedics are seeing, how different the variety is. So some paramedics, for instance, might be just doing home visits. Um, some are having same day emergency clinics, some are doing routine things, some won't see pregnancy related problems, some won't see children. So yeah, it's it's really interesting to see the, the varied role. So yeah, that will be published next month, which will be really interesting, I think, for, for people to have a look at. That, that's very good news indeed, because the, uh, although people like yourselves and some of my friends and colleagues have been doing primary care for a few years now. It's still a relatively new phenomenon and, and the more um, data uh, we, can, we can get back about how it's working or what works best, the better we, we can understand it. So uh, on a practical sense, um, just, just tell us about your average day. Well, what, what happens when you go into work? Yeah, so before 
so pre-COVID-19, um, my normal day would involve a morning, a morning clinic from 8.30 until 12, of 10 minute appointments, predominantly same day urgent presenting complaints, um, but sometimes there'd be some one month release, one week released appointments, um, because I, I do tend to see the sexual health and contraception present, presenting complaints uh, now as well, since doing a master's module in sexual health. Then we then stop for a coffee break where we just divide up the home visits. And then I do kind of one or two home visits in the afternoon and then an afternoon clinic again after that, which would be urgent same day complaints and also help out with the on-call, so telephone triage. Um, and then I have an allocated slot later on in the evening for an urgent emergency home visit that might come in on the on-call list. That sounds pretty full on. You know, we kind of see about 30 to 35 patients a day. Which is incredible, isn't it, when you look at that through the lens of an ambulance paramedic, even in, in a busy urban area, uh, you don't very often see more than about 10 uh, or 12 in a 12-hour shift. Um, so it's a real culture change, isn't it? How did you find that? I really like the... Because what's, what's also hard about the, the ambulance is you might go into shift and not know who you're working with and you're working with someone different every day so i quite liked the fact of that you're based in one place with the same team so yeah it, it was a shock like i say with the time pressures but otherwise i i very much liked it good good it sounds it sounds fast paced it sounds like you're learning lots and contributing lots it sounds like a great environment in which to work what about the the kinds of cases you've already said, uh, I thought this was very good actually, that your specialist topic for your master's was sexual health. So your practice has, has spotted your uh, knowledge in, in that zone uh, and given you a bit of a, a speciality there to develop, which is great. But otherwise, the general range of clinical cases, decisions you have to make, uh, reports you have to request, tell us a bit more about the detail. Yeah, so um, additional skills I suppose that you can do that you wouldn't necessarily be able to on the ambulance would be requesting blood tests and um, doing your own lab reports, um, requesting x-rays and dealing with those when they, they come back in as well. Still do lots of ECGs which you do do on the ambulance quite a lot. You're also able to do referrals whether that be a two-week wait for a query cancer or more routine referrals to the dermatologist so um, there's things you can do there. But like I say, personally, um, in my practice, I don't see children under three months or pregnancy related issues. And the GPs will, will see complex medical problems where they've already had quite a lot of intervention. But otherwise, you see a huge variety of, of presentations, which is what I love about it. I think as paramedics, we're generalists, um, so fitting quite well in general practice. We're used to home visits used to ruling out red flags and used to working as a team. So I think it, it is beneficial to work both on the ambulance and in the GP surgery. I think they can be done well together. That, that, that's really cool. Um, I One of the things I've always thought about being a paramedic that, that attracts us to the role is, is it's a kind of job where you never know quite what's going to happen next. And it sounds like the same is true in general practice. Um, yeah. And Go on, you were going to say something then, Alicia? Yes, I'd say, yes, absolutely. It's, it's 
it is the case in, in general practice. You never know what you're going to get. So talking of never knowing what's going to happen next, uh, when we first planned this podcast, we did not know that we were going to be part of a pandemic response. And uh, we're recording this uh, for anyone who's listening on the 24th of April, 2020. We're several weeks into uh, the UK response to COVID-19 and the world has changed beyond recognition for the way we practice, the way we learn, the way we uh, manage patients from uh, people with very minor ailments through to the, the dreadfully sick people that we've seen at the, the, the harshest end of, of COVID-19. How has general practice changed uh, in that time, Alicia? Yeah, it's changed quite significantly and very quickly. So our surgery, we have a respiratory list and a anything else list. Everything is telephone triage um, at the moment. So a patient will call in and speak with the receptionist and either be put on the respiratory list if it's a respiratory complaint um, and then the anything else list if it's anything other than respiratory. And then there's an allocated paramedic because we've got three paramedics at our GP surgery now. So there's an allocated paramedic and an allocated GP to the respiratory list. Um, and those clinicians will work in an area of the GP surgery, which is kind of isolated. Um, and we have an isolation room. And anyone that has to be seen on the respiratory list will be brought up uh, around the back entrance of the GP surgery and seen in the isolation room. Anyone that needs to be seen on the anything else list will come in the normal entrance as long as there are no um, concern that they m might have COVID-19 um, and they're seen as usual. But we are, I'd say, as I said, we normally see 30 to 35 patients a day. We're now probably seeing three to five and that's across maybe seven clinicians that are in that's it's reduced significantly. Um, home visits, again, only where necessary. And it's been very interesting to, to realise how much we can actually deal with on the phone. There are some occasions where it's quite difficult to manage over the phone. Uh, for example, rashes. So we use video consultations, which has been really beneficial. Yeah, sorry, I, I, uh, I cut across you there, but I'm really interested to know um, how, how the video consultations work um, and how reliable you're finding them and, and how the patients get on with them. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so for, for example, with presenting complaints like rashes where you need to really see it, what we ask patients to do is download an app, which is called the, the Whereby app, and um, it links to our own computers and phones in the GP surgery and then the quality is okay um, and you're able to to see whatever you need to see the only problem with it I think is the elderly population or the, the, the older patients that don't have a smartphone we can't do it you have to have a smartphone and and it does take time to talk patients through what they need to do but I think it will be used in the future still, but there are there are some issues with it. But it's been very useful during this time, for sure. That that's fascinating, and I, I personally I'm pleased to see that we are exploring the technologies. I think when when COVID um, 
settles down, if I can use that phrase, because it's never going to go away. But uh, when when the world moves on a little bit, I think we'll all be much better at, at utilising technologies for clinical purposes, for educational purposes. Uh, yeah, um, it's it's just one of the byproducts, isn't it? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. I, I do think we'll be doing a lot more telephone triage in the GP surgery than what we did before, but we will need to improve on some things because although we're being very supported to be courageous in our decision-making during this pandemic, I think we will probably see more patients for sure um, because one thing that I am finding is antimicrobial or antibiotic stewardship is kind of going a little bit out of the window because we're prescribing more antibiotics because you can't see that patient so most of the time so yeah there are things that i think we would need to improve on with telephone triage going forward yes and and uh, i understand that um if you, even if you suspect covid with the patient okay we know antibiotics won't treat covid itself but if they've got a productive cough then then um there's um a, a particular um type of antibiotic that, that might be useful in symptom management am i correct in that yeah and one of the presenting complaints as an example would be a sore throat most sore throats are viral but at, at times there'll be a bacterial tonsillitis that we'd we'd obviously need to treat with some antibiotics but um and that's more difficult to assess over the phone and because we don't want to expose that patient to the gp surgery put them at risk or the staff then we tend to prescribe antibiotics over the phone with with worsening advice or perhaps a delayed antibiotic script. So for other conditions that might have been more likely to be viral, but we're not so sure and it's more difficult over the phone, yeah, perhaps putting the, the onus on the patient to, to decide if they're worsening, then they've got that antibiotic script. Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Um, and um, the, the, you know, philosophy, I believe, behind primary care has long been to allow patients to take more of a uh, a role in their own um, decision making and, and to be in charge of their own health care more and, and I guess to some extent we're almost forcing them into it at the moment um, it'd be interesting to see how that, that develops in future uh, whether, whether we end up with um, a, a more knowledgeable patient group perhaps I agree yeah there's a lot more self-care happening yeah, and, and I think that's going to be really important as well. I'm hearing a lot of conversations about rehab um, uh, as COVID settles down, that uh, you know, those who have suffered badly but survived are going to need quite a lot of support. And I, I suspect, um, again, you're going to be pretty busy on, on that front. Um, I'm going to change the subject just, just a little bit because um, you, you obviously really love what you're doing, uh, which is great. Uh, and uh, yeah, that will come across to your patients and to our listeners. Do you miss the ambulances at all? I do, yeah. I do really miss the the ambulance. Um, I did work because I only do I do the three days a week in the GP surgery, and then I worked on the ambulance alongside that until my job at the university. So I just didn't have the time to do all of it. But yeah, maybe it's something that I'd like to get into again. I do definitely miss miss that role. Uh, don't worry, Alicia, you're not the first paramedic I've met that wants to do everything all the time. It's one of the great things about this role, isn't it? There, there's so much flexibility and, and opportunity now. So so um, 
what would you say to a paramedic who's thinking maybe they'd like to work in primary care? What would be your top tips? I would suggest that they go and do some work experience, just observing a GP or a paramedic in general practice, first of all, because that will give them a better idea of what is involved and whether they still really want to pursue that. I then, I would definitely promote further education. So my master's was made up of minor injury, uh, minor illness, clinical reasoning, uh, acute medicine, and it really did help me because it also includes work experience as part of your your master's course so in urgent care centers and in general practice and that really really did help so i would suggest to at least do your minor injury minor illness and clinical reasoning and of course now prescribing's come in um that make up i think 40 to 60 credits of that so i've literally just handed in my final piece of work for my prescribing course so i can't wait (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So maybe we should have waited um, a short while so we could have celebrated your result on this podcast. But um, I'm sure you'll do fine. Uh, the, uh, and, you know, it's going to be so valuable to to you, isn't it, in your role? Really helpful in this role. Yeah, yeah. OK, well, I hope um, that's been a useful insight to our listeners. It's, it's just kind of an introduction. I think we've only scratched the surface of what's possible in primary care and, and also in, in the, um, the way that you combine your primary care role with other roles, your research role, and still wanting to, to work as an ambulance paramedic if possible. Uh, it's great. I think it's, it's fascinating to see that the paramedics are very adaptable. The skills that we learn um, through university, on placement and in our first years working on an ambulance um, give us a lot of um, flexibility and, and the ability to learn. And it's, it's great to hear stories of, of how yourself, how you've put it into practice. And we'll be looking for some others again soon, I think, as well. So if anybody out there wants to have a chat and has an interesting role in primary care or any other area of paramedic practice, um, do get in touch with us. Um, We don't know uh, where uh, COVID is quite going to take us next. Uh, We are delighted that uh, people like yourself, Alicia, are um, uh, ready for whatever comes. And and I think that's the same as the profession as a whole. Anything you'd you'd like to add uh, as we finish off? Just that yeah it is a a fantastic role working as paramedic in general practice and i hope that this has helped with with those that have wanted to get into general practice what what next steps to take really um and yeah it's good to do both that and and work on the ambulance i think yeah yeah it's a great um range of of skills to, to keep up and so thank you for that Alicia thanks for all your uh, tips and tricks I should mention as well of course that the college has its uh, diploma in primary and urgent care which is a great sort of benchmark um, examination for um, the skills and abilities needed to work in primary care we're obviously not uh, running that face to face at the moment but we are doing a little bit of work in the background to prepare for when we are able to run that again Uh, and other than that I think we've we've had plenty of good uh, information i'm very grateful to you alicia and uh, uh, it just leaves us to uh, say goodbye for now and to everyone out there to stay safe and look after yourselves thank you for inviting me guy thanks alicia bye for now
Paramedic Insight Podcast from the College of Paramedics.